Julia, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Cynthia. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, not as excited as I am. So I'm reading your information. I'm stalking you on LinkedIn. And I see something that, that stops me in my tracks. You and I have heard those stories about follow your passion, do what you love, and you'll never work a day in your life. And you call BS on that. Why? Yeah. So it's advice that we hear in every graduation speech, right? It's become so cliche and commonplace to hear, follow your passion, just follow your passion. And I have always felt like that advice has been toxic for me personally in my life. And I had a sneaking suspicion that others felt that way too. And I decided to kind of come out about hating that advice uh, in this article that I wrote for Forbes uh, called, you know, follow your passion is terrible career advice. And and I'll tell you a couple of reasons why it's bad career advice. The first reason is that it assumes that we all innately know what our passion is. And for young people who are in exploration mode and frankly, cross crossing stuff off mode, right? Like, what do I hate? Um, it can leave people feeling like there's something wrong with them, mm -hmm. that they don't know what their passion is. And they're, they're sort of looking left, looking right. What are people's reactions to this advice? Is anyone else feeling as alone as I do, mm -hmm. not knowing what their passion is? So, so that's the, the kind of first reason is it assumes innate knowledge of a passion, which frankly is just, is not the case for most of us. And I have people, not just young people who come to me for coaching saying, I don't know what my passion is. I have people in their fifties and sixties right. saying, I don't know. My passion was once this. It's not that anymore. Help me yeah. rediscover a passion. And so it also assumes a singularity mm -hmm. of passion throughout a lifetime, which is you and I both know to be false. Right. Yeah. That, that is an excellent point. And I think that there's a pressure that is added to people when you say, find your passion, find your passion. There's a lot of people that don't know what their passion is. They may stumble into it, mm -hmm. but I think there's a trial and error, a journey that kind of, you know, is squiggly that you try one thing that you you think your passion is and you pivot to something else and you pivot to something else. Life is a series of pivots, right? Yes. Absolutely. Trial and error is is the best possible way of putting it. And it's the best possible advice for people trying to find their passion. I, I say low stakes trial and error if you can, right? Mm -hmm. So not throwing yourself into a career that you're going to feel um, beholden to for three years and feel guilty quitting. That's not low stakes trial and error, right? How can you do an internship, do a shadow day, have informational conversations and pay attention to the energy in your body yes. and what lights you up and collect data that way? So it's a, it's a constant uh, collecting of data um, rather than feeling trapped for a number of years in something you hate. I, I love that advice. When I was getting ready to enter the workforce, I was told by numerous people um, who who knew nothing, knew, who knew no better, that you should go to college, you get a career, you stay with that company for 30 years, you show them undying, unending loyalty, you get a gold watch and you retire, then you travel the world with your pension. What I love about the new mindset, if you will, is that nothing is concrete. Mm. They're not afraid to jump and grow wings on the way down. And if it didn't work, then try something different. Yeah. 
And I love the fact that they are loyal to themselves first versus being loyal to a company. Because we know if they fall off the face of the earth, that company will replace them in 30 seconds flat. Yep. That's, yeah. Yes, that's absolutely right. I, I love how you how you frame that. And I think um, younger people, this newer way of working, are also open to passions being discovered by experience, Yes, right? That's such another big part of why Find Your Passion is, is bad career advice. Again, it assumes we innately know it, but it also discounts the idea that passions are informed by the experiences that shape us particularly bad experiences, Yes, right? I mean, I, I think about myself and my, my first job out of college was um, I, I was working in corporate finance for a large healthcare organization. And I was the only woman on a team of 10 men. And there was a very toxic culture from high up, like C-suite celebrity culture, right? Like oh, the CEO God. walks into the building and sit up straight and blow up your spreadsheets. And and that is so much of what informed what I'm passionate about now, right? You don't know it at the time, sitting there feeling miserable and wondering if this is just what adulting is. Right. But, but in the long term, that informs my work in, in working with women in corporate settings, right? Helping them navigate workplaces that might feel toxic, helping them feel empowered to advocate for themselves, right? So all of these kind of adverse experiences to help shape what we end up becoming passionate about and working on behalf of. Absolutely. Someone asked me the other day about building resiliency, if I could teach a course mm. on building resiliency. Mm. And, I, and I said, well, I don't have enough information about this, so let me go ahead and go back and do some research. Mm. And what I found was that to be truly resilient, you have to go through adversity yeah. to be resilient. Mm-hmm. I can try to give you some tips and tricks based upon my experiences, the lens through which I look. But you've got to experience adversity, just like you said. So when we think about adversity, what one instance or experience comes to mind that helped shape who you are, who you serve, and what you do now? It is a thread of experiences throughout my life before I became a coach. And it, it's such a wonderful question. I love I love your questions because they really hit on the core of curiosity. So I just want to compliment you as a coach for your questions. They're so wonderful. Um, so, so this is a, it's a thread for me. And the thread is should. Mm. The thread is here is what my definition of impressive, and I'm using quotes for those listening, is how can I mold myself into someone who exhibits those traits? And the word should was like this neon sign blinking above my forehead. And so that's, that's, you know, I, I was good at math. I, it, I was fine at math, right? Like I could do it. I could do financial modeling. Um, I went to business school, you know, I got through accounting and some of these other courses, but I was ignoring my natural gifts, which were uh, emotional intelligence, curiosity about others, um, wanting to invest in the growth of others and really ignoring that I would, I would get into these conversations with professors intending to get homework help and would be, you know, talking about their kids and what they wanted to do in five years. Or I was just like ignoring the fact that I was coaching everyone in my life. Um, but, but the thread is that should, 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 I should be a financial analyst. I should go to a top 10 business school. I should work in after, after graduation in, social impact and finance, right? So now not only am I working in finance, which is impressive, I'm working in 
social impact and social entrepreneurship. So I'm, I'm checking the good person box too, right? How am I checking boxes? All of this sort of external vision of what success was without paying attention to what authentically energized me and drove me. And I was discounting my natural strengths because they came easily to me. And that's something I see so commonly among my clients, right? People discount things that come easily to them as not impressive because they're easy, but actually that's where we should be leaning in. And so, so that thread, that, um, that adversity thread, that hardship thread was pushing against my natural proclivities, embracing should when it was really the wrong decision and everything that I learned from that until I became a coach. And so that has, that is why I think when I see people now and the first thing they say is I'm, I'm on the should path, I'm doing things because they're impressive not because it's what is making my heart sing. That's like when I snap into just like full engaged gear of I see you, I, I get you, let's do the work, let's dive in, let's get joy here. That, my dear, is what they call shooting all over yourself. That's right, stepping in should, if you will. Stepping in should, yes. <laughs> so let's talk about an action step because what you said is powerful. And I do a lot of work on helping women amplify their innate strengths. But for a lot of people, they don't know what their innate strengths are. Mm. So what is a, a, an exercise? If you were to you know, offer some free coaching to those listening, what exercise could they do today to help them find their innate strengths? Great question. There's a couple of things that come to mind. So the first one is, the people in our lives around us tend to see us more clearly than we see ourselves and to see our strengths more clearly. It might feel uncomfortable initially, but I really encourage you to pull the people around you who know you best and ask them what your superstar strengths are. Okay. And collect that data and you're going to see some overlaps. And so it might be confirming something you already suspected. It might be something that totally surprised you. But the first one is to trust the people around you to know you. So that's that's one suggestion I have. A second suggestion I have, and this goes back to the discussion around what energizes you, is ask yourself what three projects you've done in the past, and they can be work-related, they can be personal, they can be anything. Think about the projects that most energized you. When you reflect back and think through your life, what are the things that most energized you? So identify those three things. And then ask yourself to break down the facets of those three things, right? So what exactly was I doing? So, so maybe your answer is I, I fostered two little lab puppies and that was really energizing for me. Okay, what was it about those experiences that were energizing for you? Um, I got to nurture. Yes. I got to put love to something. I got to see results because I got to, you know, adopt those puppies out, right? And so now I can understand and see themes. My strengths are in being results-driven, in being nurturing, right? And so you see what I'm doing with this exercise, right? This silly example that you and I were just chatting about before we came on the air. Um, but these types of identifications of what energizes us can lead us to what our innate strengths are. So once we have those innate strengths, what do we do with them? Because you can't really go to a job or an employer and say, you know what, I'm good at nurturing puppies and I'm... Um, results oriented. Yeah. So how do I take that and transfer that into a transferable skill that gets me hired? Yeah, that's the key. That's the key, right? And so understanding those adjectives is an important first step. And then it's about tying them to the outcomes that the business or the role needs to see. And so it's about having tangible examples of that, right? So 
now I can say, I know I'm nurturing because of puppies, but how did I nurture that teammate who was going through a hard time at home? And my nurturing instinct allowed me to identify that she needed a week of PTO. And then she came back and she killed her sales goals, right? So because I'm nurturing, I lead teams in a way that you're not going to find every day, right? So it's about taking those strengths. And on the face of it, you might say, I'm nurturing puppies. That's not a, a sales skill or that's not a, a, you know, fill in the blank skill, but it is. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because anytime I've seen a great salesperson client relationship, it's because of that innate skill of being able to nurture right. and being able to empathize and say, what is it that my client or prospect needs? Not the logical need, but the emotional need, whether that client needs to feel like a rock star at work, whether that client needs to feel heard. So many different things. And I love that you mentioned that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's... um. And I, I mean, I think about this with sales of coaching too. I mean, there's so much here to sales of coaching, right? When you sell coaching, you're not you're not selling coaching, right? No. You're not selling 60 minutes on Zoom where I ask you questions. You're you're selling the outcome. That's yes. the person, wants, yes. right? What do you need for this to be successful? Why are you here? Mm-hmm. What do you need to take your life from where it is now to where you envision it? That's what, and, and then that's what you're selling, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The outcome. The outcome. Not the coaching. Correct. Yes. And anybody who has a product or service, you're not selling that. You are selling the outcome. Yep. That's, a, that's a tweetable moment, yeah. as they say. Mm-hmm. That's a tweetable moment. Yeah. You are extremely strong and wise. Where did that come from? Thank you. The feeling is mutual. Um, my parents. I, my mom is a psychotherapist. No way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and my, my father is a physician and they both specialize in uh, pediatric care. Okay. Um, and so my mom has, you know, tiny little patients, tiny little child patients who have been through, you know, some of the most horrible traumas you can imagine. Um, my dad specialized in pediatric emergency medicine. So again, hor- mm-hmm. horrible, you know, things. Um, but what, they taught me and my sisters early on, I'm one of three girls, is um, that you have a voice and your voice is special and unique and deserves to be heard. And it's interesting because I'm, I'm a twin and I was sort of the outgoing twin. My, uh, my sister's much more introverted. And so I would sort of be like in front of my mom declaring whatever <laughs> message I wanted to convey that day. And she would sort of be behind my mom, hiding behind my mom. Um, but it's not that she didn't have a voice. It just manifested differently. So my sister is, is a writer. She's in media. Um, she's not front of the stage, but her voice is is so powerful. And she recently put a book out about um, being, being a lesbian in media, being at the helm of major publication in New York. And so um, we were always encouraged to have points of view. Mm. Um, and I like, that's such a powerful thing to give to children early on. Right. It's, so it's, um, it's emotional fluency. Mm -hmm. I think that's a, that's such a huge part of it. It's like, how do you feel? Why do you feel that way? Let's talk about that. Let's give you the words to describe those things early on. Let's not talk to you like, like children, let's nurture you like you're, you're a child, but let's, let's encourage you to have a voice and describe how you feel and, and draw the scary monster in your dream. And let's figure out a way to make it go away. Right. And so there was, just a lot of in, empowerment and the um, like we were always looked at as wise. Mm. I think I always g- 
got that from my parents, like that you, you like you are wise, you are worthy. And um, I think that I mean, that's that's what it was. It was like the first three years of life. I think by age of three, you're probably baked. Right. And um, that I'm pretty much the same today as I was when I was three. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing that they created that safe space for you to have a voice. Yeah. Yeah. If I were to invite them into the room mm. and ask them about you mm. and I were to ask them what they're most proud of, what would they say? Um, so I think my dad would say my guts, how I go for things. Mm-hmm. Um, he later in life has started entrepreneurial ventures okay. um, post sort of retirement from being a physician. He's uh, started some amazing entrepreneurial ventures, but was afraid to do them before um, for lots of different reasons, supporting a family being a major one. But I think he's seen me take the entrepreneurial leap. And I think he would say, gosh, where did, where did that girl get that guts <laughs> to just take the leap um, and, and take a bet on herself? So I think that's what he would say he's most proud of. And I think my, my mom would, um, she would say my kindness, my, my like soul level kindness towards others and seeing others clearly. What are you most proud of about yourself? My resilience. Um, right now, my resilience this past year, um, that's what I'm most proud of right now. And, and that, you know, this answer changes just like passion changes with sure. time. What we're most proud of changes with time. And um, I think, you know, we, we always sort of surprise ourselves with um, how we can bounce back from adversity and what um, re- sort of reimagining what we thought life would be. And so I, I, my husband and I have been trying to make a family for the past four years Mm. Um, and my business has grown and thrived and turned in, turned into kind of my surrogate child in this time. Um, but that's not something that's become a reality for us. And there are so many ups and downs to that. I mean, you know, this is another thing we can, can kind of blow up and call out, right? There's so many professional working women who are going through infertility and who are, are taking the, the injections, going to get egg retrieval surgeries, um, experiencing heartbreaks and trauma and miscarriage and, and going to work, yeah. right? And and that biological reality is not seen by many companies. And um, so on the one hand, there's a desire that I have to sort of blow up the secret. Let's talk about infertility. Let's talk about it. But it's, it's really painful. Yes. And so it's hard to talk about when you're going through it. But one thing that, I, that I'm proud of of myself, to get back to your original question, is um, my resilience through what has been a really traumatic year actually and i think many people would be surprised or my social media linkedin you wouldn't know that i'm going through that um i've had to take a break from my personal instagram because of pregnancy announcements right like people don't kind of yeah. see that side of you um but that i can still be okay and in fact thrive and also be going through a process of grief has um has awed me about myself so tell me about your hesitancy in sharing that story. Mm. So I think I would compare it to, and you're, you're a public speaker, so you take to the stage and you talk about stories. The kind of advice 101 about being a public speaker is don't tell a story when it's still raw for you. Don't cry on stage. 
right? And if you haven't worked through the trauma and processed it, then you're not telling the story in retrospect. You're in the story and that doesn't actually help your audience. And so I think that's the best allegory for this experience right now. I'm in it. And so I, you know, talk about changing passions. I was actually just talking about this with my mom yesterday. She said to me, Julia, in in five, 10 years, I see you being, um, on the advocacy side of this somehow. I see you making this right somehow because we were talking about how um, expensive all of these treatments are right. and, um, and and privilege, right? Like privilege to, to be able to pay for these treatments and how if I was less financially privileged than I am now, what would my options be? Um, and really just thinking about fertility with an equity lens. And she and I got into this this conversation about like what what would being on the other side of this look like? How would you advocate for families who want this and can't afford it. And so there will be a time in my life, and I'm stating that intention publicly for the first time now, there will be a time in my life where this is this is the passion. This is the gift that I went through that will inform a huge part of my life. Right now, it's raw. Yes. Right now, it's hard. Right now, there's trauma. And right now, there's uncertainty. Right. right? That's the other big part. There's waiting and there's uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So there's no sort of closing chapter to the book. And I think once there is... I will come back and I will come back hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but let's own that we don't have to be an advocate for everything when we're going through it. Right. Right. You know, sometimes it's enough to get up in the morning. Yes. And that's all you can do. And that's enough. Yep. That's enough. I think being kind to ourselves and realizing that I don't have to put on the cape every day. Right. Some days the cape is covering the Peloton. Collecting dust. Yep. Some days it's in the dirty clothes. Some days I wear it with pride. But I think when we find the purpose in the pain and remember that there is a purpose to the pain Mm. that helps the lens through which we look. Yeah. 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 I love that. And, you know, you talked about resilience and I, I love the phrase mental fitness Yes, um, because it sort of takes resilience one step further, right? Resilience is this idea of bouncing back from adversity. Mental fitness is exactly what you just said, Cynthia, which is seeing adversity as a gift in the moment. That's a trying exercise. Let's be real. I oh mean, when you're coming off a trauma or something bad happened or you didn't get the job, asking yourself, well, what is the gift in this? Can I, can serve to discount your own emotions and let you not feel right? So let's, let's normalize feeling, but then sort of once you've given yourself enough time to grieve or feel asking yourself, what could be, what could be some potential gifts in this? How, how, if I were to try to challenge myself to see a potential gift in this, what might that be? And that's the difference between resilience, bouncing back, just getting back to zero and mental fitness, which is the gift. Yes. Who do you surround yourself with? Um, funny, smart women. Okay. Why? Um, if I haven't belly laughed in a day, it is not a day I want to live on the earth. Nice. <laughs> um, humor, humor is the currency of life. When there is a lack of humor in a room, I don't want to be in that room. <laughs> I've just, I've like learned that about myself, right? Okay. Like people who take themselves too seriously and posture, like that's my, I'm out. Like I can, I can play that game. I'm not happy playing that game. Um, I, I have probably because I was raised with, you know, three sisters and a strong mother. Um, I think women have, uh, 
auras that I don't know what else to, I'm inspired by women. I'm inspired by the journeys of women. Um, I think women are hilarious. I think um, I love hearing about women's stories. Um, I love how women bolster each other. I mean, this is something you've talked a lot about on the season of the podcast, right, is, is mm-hmm. women building each other up and the, yes. the power and collaboration, the power in reaching back, right, when you've yeah. mentored yourself and reaching back. Um, I think women do it really naturally um, and really beautifully. Um, and I feel most at, at home with, you know, on FaceTime or in person with my sisters. Like that's just, you know, friend sisters, biological sisters. Yeah. That's my lifeblood. Your tribe is so important. Yeah. Yeah. It's your tribe. And what, and what are the different parts of your tribe? Right. I think in a, in a professional context, um, I, I challenge clients to, to say, to answer the question, who is on your, your board of directors? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that's something you've heard before too, right? So nonprofits and companies have boards of directors that inform their decisions, right? But who's on your personal board of directors Um, and who should be on that board? Who should comprise that board? And so for me, that's a mix of professional contacts, people I've worked with over the years, but also friends from different phases of my life, friends who know me from college, from graduate school, from adult Hood, which is a different phase, um, right? And so, who's on your board of directors, and how are you using that the cognitive diversity on that board to help inform your life decisions when you need guidance? Speaking of guidance, if you could get guidance from anyone, resources unlimited. Who do you need to meet to take you to your next level? My future self. Mm. What does she have to say? So I I believe that there's not a nugget of expertise or a piece of advice singularly that one person could give me that would outweigh the weight of my own future wisdom of having lived my unique life. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And so a, a really wonderful activity, Cynthia, that I encourage you to try and, and your listeners as well is when you're in need of some wisdom, you actually have access to your future self within you, right? Just like right. you have access to the past versions of yourself within you and um, encourage you to, to find a quiet place and engage in this mindfulness exercise, right? When you need some wisdom, um, how can you sort of beam up from the earth. And then when you beam back down, you're in a conversation with your elder self. Yes. Particularly in trying times when you need advice and, and what would that elder self surrounded by love, healthy, right? What would that elder self tell you about what you're going through right now? And oftentimes we can cover ourselves in the, in the warm blanket that we need without needing it externally. And there's such immense power in being able to self soothe in your own mind through those types of exercises. Yes. There's a song by James Fortune called Dear Future Me, mm. in which he goes through, it's a gospel song, and he goes through and he says, you, and I'm misquoting this terribly, but he says, um, in the future, things will be okay. Mm. Just get through this moment. It's temporary, but don't put a period where God has placed a comma. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes when it when it feels like everything is ending and crashing down, right? It's actually just the beginning 
of something else. And it's so hard to see that in moments of hardship. Yes. Right. And so we can ask ourselves, what's the last time you remember feeling like everything ended, everything was Mm -hmm. ending and it was terrible and, and reflect back on that time. And now what is your, what is your present self say to that at that time? That would have been your future self. Correct. Right. And so can you trust your own wisdom here? Can you trust that that wasn't just a one-time thing? Right. Right. What are you currently working on? Hmm. I'm working on co-creating with my husband the life we've always imagined. And what that means is being our own bosses. Mm -hmm. That means spending a ton of time together with each other, with our friends. Uh, It means not working Mondays (laughs) so that I don't have Sunday sads. You know, that was was sort of a revelation as an entrepreneur. Like, wait, I don't have to work Mondays. (laughs) Right. I'm not going to work Mondays. Okay. Um, And, and, um, hitting our, our sort of number that we need to hit as a family and then reevaluating in 10 years. That's our, that's our goal. 10 year plan. Okay. Get where we need to get financially and then continually co-create the life that we want. Um, and so what that means for me in, in projects right now, I'm growing my business. So I'm bringing on coaches with complementary skill sets to me. Okay. And that's been so freeing and empowering and wonderful. I think something that, I mean, entrepreneurship can be lonely. Mm-hmm. I miss having colleagues. And yes. so bringing on coaches is a wonderful way to have colleagues mm-hmm. um, and to be able to give them cases that I'm probably not best suited to, to take on. Sure. Uh, so that's really wonderful that the team is growing, um, working on more uh, corporate partnerships. So that's really exciting since that's where I started my work and that's kind of where my heart is, is helping improve the lives of people working in corporate. Um, working a lot on mental fitness and resilience with my clients. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I'm always writing. So I write for Forbes. And um, something I think a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of my topics for my Forbes articles come from uh, l- learnings from my clients that week or two weeks, right? Were there any themes I saw this week and what people were experiencing? And so something I'm, an article I'm excited about working on right now is this idea of C-suite celebrity and how it's a, a damaging for cultures yes. of companies when we uh, elevate people in the C-suite to kind of superhuman status and when they're not accessible to people in the company and they're, um, and there's not sort of psychological safety around communicating with people in leadership. So that's something that's near and dear to my heart, which I think you probably, you get why by now. I do. I do. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. What about you? What are you working on? Creating situations and environments where I can show up as my best self. Mm. Yeah. And what does that mean to you? First, I look at how do I want to show up in this situation? Mm. And then I have self-talk. What does it take for me to show up as my best self, as confident, as empathetic, as funny, humorous and making sure that I show up that way so that I can better serve. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm working on. Who are your main inspirations, Cynthia? How do you, I I was, you know, I've been struck listening to your podcast and I said this when we first met your, 
your wisdom paired with this curiosity that you have about other people that's so based in active listening. Your questions are so informed by what's come before. There's not the sense talking to you that you're waiting to speak. And that is, that's a superpower. It's so rare. Where does that come from for you? How do you, where do you credit that to? Someone once told me, um, Carol, she said, Cynthia, actually my nickname at the time was Butter. (laughs) B-U-T-T-A, Butter. She said, she looks at me and she said, Butter, no matter what you do, you always land on your feet. Mm. She said, you're the only one I know that can quit a job on Friday with nothing lined up and be at work at 8 a.m. Monday morning. And at the time, it was funny. And we had a good laugh when roller skating that night, but it, it, was, it was really funny. And I look back at that and I say, I've never been afraid of uncertainty. Mm. Mm. Because I know who has the strings. I'm a woman of faith and I know that I, number one, I won't let myself down because I don't do homeless <laughs> and neither do, do my pets. And number two, I know that my higher power has what's best for me in mind. Yeah. So I'm not afraid to jump and grow wings on the way down. Yeah. I'm not afraid to say, you know what? There's another challenge. Let's see how it pans out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that word faith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not always easy. But faith in yourself, faith in something that's higher, that's bigger than you. Mm-hmm. And to also, someone once, you know, Facebook is the ultimate philosopher. And I saw a meme on Facebook one day and it said, if you're not changing lives and changing the world, why the hell are you on this earth? Mm-hmm. And too many women I see don't believe in themselves and the impact that they have. And I say to them, think of a mosquito, tiny, tiny little mosquito, not a big impact until you're caught with that booger in a closed tent, huge impact. So what's the difference between the mosquito with no brain and you with all of the talent, skills, and abilities that you have, you can change the world if you decide to do so, if you have that intention. And that's what I want to inspire women to do. Change the world. Yeah. It's such a beautiful intention. And if I can take the mosquito metaphor one step further, I hate mosquitoes. They are obsessed with me. Um, Sweet meat. (laughs) That's right. Sweet blood. Um, Mosquitoes are the worst, but they're part of an ecosystem. Yes. And I think women often discount that they can be a powerful part of an ecosystem for other women, right? And so I could potentially, my, my don't follow your passion brain is like alarm bells going off when people hear change the world, change people. I hear people coming to me saying all the time, I I want to, but I don't know how. And often people discount that the smallest steps are how. Yes. The smallest steps are how you're part of a greater ecosystem of impact, of how your words inspire another woman or person, Mm -hmm. about how you spend a day volunteering on something, and it might feel really small, but you touch the life of someone, or that inspires advocacy work that you do later in life, or whatever, whatever, whatever. Or, this is what I see most commonly, 
being afraid to reach out to someone that you admire because you're afraid of bothering them. Right. You're discounting your own magic of the effect that you could have on that person. Yes. Right? At, if you have the framework that you're bothering people, mm-hmm. then you're disempowering yourself. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. And changing one person's life is the catalyst for changing the world. Mm-hmm. Someone put on Facebook, again, that philosophy <laughs> thing. Philosophy. Yes. And I'm going to butcher this. <laughs> but the true test of whether or not you are a success in life is not measured by how well you do. It's measured by how many others you help do well. And I read that, I quit my job, I started in AWSP, and look what happened. So the person who, that had the, the mindset and the forethought to put that on Facebook, it's probably been around the world 25,000 times, yeah. but it touched me and I created something with it. It will touch someone else. They will create something with it. So never, ever, ever take those thoughts that you have and hold them to yourself. There's a reason that those thoughts are there. You've got to let them out or else they die with you. Yeah. That is such an incredible aha moment. And um, I'm such a believer that when aha moments come, we have to be ready to receive them. Yes. Why were you ready to receive that aha moment in the form of the Facebook philosopher quote when you received it? What was going on for you that you were ready to receive that revelation? I was working in a job and I was, it it was the worst job I had ever had. And I came in with all of these grandiose ideas. We can do this and this and this, we can automate this and make this electronic. And, and, and the woman said to me, we hired you to make copies, to answer the phone and to file. No. And if we have you do more, we have to pay you more. I said, excuse me. I'd never been in a role where I was not asked to contribute. Mm. And maybe I was full of myself, but I said, you know what? You have too many talents, skills, abilities to file, make copies, and answer the phone. Mm. It's time to go. You saw yourself clearly. Yes. And I saw another Facebook post that said, respect yourself enough to walk away from anything that doesn't grow you, serve you, or make you happy. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I went to her and I said, thank you so much for your time here. I have learned so much about the organization, about you, and mostly about myself. Mm. Mm. And I'm going to open up this seat for someone who's better suited for it. Yeah. Mm. Gorgeous. Yeah. Sometimes we have to have adversity. Yes. So that we can become ourselves. Yes. And the belief in ourselves that... We're not put on this earth to be mediocre, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And now there is someone who aspires to file, answer phones, and make copies. And that's wonderful. You can bloom where you're planted. Yep. But that wasn't for Cynthia Michelle Barnes. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That that definition is completely different for everyone. And that definition changes throughout our lives. It does. Right? I mean, I, I'm talking about fertility and, and wanting a child my business is my baby right now. I'm putting every fiber of my being into that, but I could see having a child and having that be blooming where I'm planted there, right? My child's development and nourishment and growing, growing a human being that thing that I'm going to do excellently and, and not, um, not be mediocre. Right. And that thing could, could 
eventually, hopefully become caring for aging parents. That's the thing that you're not mediocre at, that you put all of your energy in, right? I mean, I was I was speaking at a an executive assistant conference recently. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it happens to be like 90% women. So I'll just say women. These women feel so passionate about their project management, clearly running the show at these companies, um, empowering the executives they work for to be the best versions of themselves, right? Like that's there. And, and they astound me. And I don't think I could do that job, <laughs> to be quite honest with you, right? And so this looks different for everyone. Yes, it does. Because podcasts never die, just like Facebook posts, your children are going to hear this one day. Hmm. Because I'm just putting it out there. I'm a, I'm a firm believer that what you put out into the universe, it comes back to you. So we're going to put that out there. Hmm. What do you want to say to them? You are so wanted. Yes. And whatever we disagree about and wherever there is tension, what there is most of all is unconditional, undying love. And I never want you to have a day on this earth where you feel less than because mommy's coming for you. I love that. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And, and with all of the emotion and passion that I see in your face, they're going to love that. They are going to love that. Yes. Thank you for that. That lovely gift. I'm going to have a good cry about that in the car on the way home. You know what? I'm, <laughs> my eyes are watering right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I've got these great walls that I've trained myself to have around this. And, and like, let's just be real for speakers. Like I didn't cry during that is because I'm trying not to cry. Cause I know if I cry, you know, first of all, my mascara is not waterproof. So like, let's just talk about that for a second. Right. Um, don't want to ugly cry, but, um, I, those are like sacred spaces for myself yes. where I get to have catharsis and that's a, a beautiful gift I can give myself and time and place. So car ride home, watch all out other home. drivers. All right. <laughs> You got if you have to pull over, it's okay. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. That is your safe space. I want to know if I were to ask those who love you the most, what would they say about you? I'm a really good friend. Mm. Like if I'm on your team, I'm on your team for life. Um, Very loyal to my friends. Mm. So I think that would be a first thing. I Friendship is particularly my female friendships are quite sacred to me. And I don't use that word lightly. Um, I also think non-judgmental would be a really big one. Um, There's not much you could say that would shock me or would make me like raise my eyebrows. Okay. I'm kind of just here for it. Like, however you want to show up as you, I'm here for it. Like, you snorted cocaine last night and, like, went into, okay, you know, let's talk about it. How, how did that make you feel? Like, did, I'm curious. Did you have a great night? Did you get the down after? Like, tell me, like, what's going on? How can I show up for you? Right? Like, I'm not here to judge anyone else's choices. I'm here because I'm curious and I'm here to support and love. So I think, I think that's it. I think that's what they would say. And um, I'm pretty silly. I'm pretty silly. There's a lot of like silly dancing in my household, a lot of like ridiculous 
shenanigans that happen with my labradoodle and my husband and myself. <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, so it's pretty amazing. We've got sounds a good amazing. got a good thing going. <laughs> yes. Yes. What do you do to um decompress Cynthia? What do you do to relax cuz you you are such a hard hitter. I mean, you're doing a lot. I think it's clear that your listeners will hear you're you're doing a lot, you're contributing a lot. What do you do to unwind? Do you do anything to unwind? Now you're going to make me cry. Mm. But I learned that if you squeeze the bridge of your nose, <laughs> your ducts will activate. <laughs> so, okay. And I'm back. Um, I have been known to work 19 hours a day. Oh, my God. And I have two speeds, 180 miles an hour and zero. Mm. So to decompress, I sleep. It's not the best for me because there should be some rest in between, some downtime. I have a notification on my phone at seven o'clock that says do nothing. So every 7 p.m. it says do nothing, do nothing, do nothing. But I'm busy. I'm productive. And someone posted on Facebook again. You know, I'm not on Facebook a lot, but when I'm on there, it's like the universe conspires to give me the noodles that I need. And so it said, could you be so busy because you are trying to avoid? And that smacked me right in the face. I said, Cynthia, what are you trying to avoid by being busy nonstop? And I'm still working through that. Yeah. I'm still working through that. Yes. So beautiful. And thank you for naming something that's an active journey for you right now. And I see why that struck such a chord. When I asked you that, it's unresolved. Something it you're you're working to learn about yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How how does being busy serve us? Yes. Right. Yes. And right now it serves me. Yes. Until I can identify what it is that keeps me going. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And it could be a fear. It could be that fear of you know I've been homeless before. I've eaten tuna and ramen before. I've had to surrender my pets to the kill shelter because I didn't have any place for them. So there's an underlying fear of if you don't work hard, you will end up there again. So that's part of it. If I'm fully transparent. Yeah. Yeah. What else might be part of it? Mm. My dad was an air force sergeant. And he endured such horrible racism being in the Jim Crow era in the, in the Air Force and growing up. My mother used to be a supervisor for, for the big three. And she had, a, she had tools that were locked behind a cage. It's like a 20 by 20 cage. And she um, went into the cage to get some tools for one of her employees. And they locked the door behind her. And they put a sign out that said, don't feed the monkeys. And that broke my heart to hear my dad say, he, he's, we just went to the country club in um, Atlanta. And as we're walking up as a family, he said, when I was a young boy, the only way I could step foot on this property is if I were carrying wood for the furnaces, for the boilers or whatever. 
the sacrifices that my parents made so that I could live the life that I have doesn't go unnoticed. It is my duty, my duty to be successful because they sacrificed so that I could. So it's not a nice to have. It's not a want or a desire. It's a duty because to be anything less than my absolute best is disrespect and a slap in the face to all that they had to go through. Mm. So that's why. Mm. Yeah, that's why. As you're unpacking this with me right now, what thoughts are you having about what's coming out? There's more room out than in, so I'm pretty pretty happy about that. I'm I'm happy to be able to share that, but but those sentiments they're part of who I am. Yep. They're part of who I am. Yep. And I am consistently asking myself, are mom and dad proud of me? Mm. And of course they're going to say yes. But there's a pressure that I impose on myself to make sure, Cynthia, are you doing your best? Are you showing up as your best? Are you being that leader that your nine-year-old niece aspires to be? Mm. We have so much power that we don't even realize. We impact the lives of people that, for future, your kids are going to hear this podcast and they're going to say, look at my mama. My niece comes on to my zoom calls and she'll type in hi auntie i love you and she spells auntie (laughs) o-n-t-y it's like a mic drop auntie i love it i love it (laughs) so i know that i'm impacting her so greatness is within us i choose to represent that can i challenge you for a second absolutely does greatness mean being either at 180 miles per hour or zero. No. And I'm looking forward to the day when it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And I'm working toward that. Yes, you are. Yes. Yes, you are. Yes. Julia. Cynthia. Thank you so much for your wisdom, for pouring into me for pouring into our listeners, for being the woman that you are, to be, for being aspirational, for sharing your journey, for being transparent and allowing yourself to be vulnerable. I thank you for that. Thank you for providing the space. You are an absolute gift to humankind. And As I you. just loved this hour with you. I've yes. just loved it. So thank you. Thank you. You are truly unstoppable. Yes. I know that our listeners are going to want to be where you are (laughs) whether it's virtually whether it's in person where can they get more of you yeah so uh, go to my website which is theauthenticityguide.com that's where you can find out much more about me and please add me on LinkedIn add a little note so I know that you listened that would be very meaningful for me and uh, I'm not hard to find once you're on my website so please please be in touch. I would love to hear from your listeners. Awesome. I know that they are going to love being connected to you. This is Cynthia Barnes with another episode of Unstoppable. Thank you so much for tuning in to our time today with Julia Wench. You can catch Unstoppable wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google to name a few. 
And next week, I'll be back with another episode. Thank you, Julie.